Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. We're going to continue our series, uh, The Good Shepherd and we're, we're basically going through Psalm 23, the psalm that we've been confessing every Sunday. Uh, we're going verse by verse. We're taking it slow and just really extracting what the Word of God has for us, what that, the, the, the amazing psalm, that poem, uh, that song uh, has for us. And, uh, and so today is the fourth part, which means we're going to focus on the fourth verse. But before I get there, um, I want to give you the title of the message, which is Uncertainty. If you're taking notes, the title of the message is Uncertainty. Now, how many of you would consider yourself to be a, hit, a risk taker? Show your hands. You, you consider yourself to be a risk taker. All right. How, how many of you are risk averse? You're like, no, I'm, I'm not a risk taker at all. I don't want to. How many of you feel like you're in the middle? Like sometimes you take risks. All right, all right. The room, the room is pretty much split uh, uh, three, in three ways. I see several hands there. Uh, and I think that, that we all have this propensity to either take risks or avoid risks. But even if you're either or, or you feel like you're in the middle, no matter where you fall in the, spec, in the spectrum, all of us certainly want certainty more than we want uncertainty, right? In fact, I think that we favor certainty in most parts of our lives. For some of us, especially those of you who are more risk averse, a risk taker is just reckless, right? But if you think about it, uh, even those who are taking risks, even those who like taking risks, uh, risks, uh, they don't take risk in every area of their lives. It's just a little bit more than you. If you are a risk taker today, you still wore a seat, a seat belt driving here, right? You still stopped at the red light. I hope so, right? You're not, your milk is in the refrigerator, right? You keep it safe in the refrigerator. You don't risk that, right? Because risk takers, like I said, just tend to risk a little more in the spectrum, we all want certainty and safety for the vast majority of our lives. We don't risk at all, all the time. Because we find stability in predictability. And we find predictability, and that, that predictability gives us the illusion, and I'm calling it illusion because you're going to know in a minute, the illusion of certainty. If something's predictable, we can feel like it's certain. Which means you can make plans for the future. And we work hard at that. We work hard at making sure that we can be as certain as possible about the future. Some of you are big planners. You plan your week out. You, you have a set schedule because there, it gives you a sense of certainty about the future. A simple example is this very service you're in today. You might not know what songs you're going to sing. You might not know what message is going to be said or what is going to be said during the message. You're not going to be know, you might not know the content of the video or what we're going to do. But you know that we start at 1030 and you know that we end really close to noon. Either a little bit before or a little bit past. But it's right, really close to noon. And so there's predictability there. 
And you can plan your Sundays because you know if you're going to come here, you're going to be here for about 90 minutes and we're going to have a good time together. And then you can go about your day. But the truth is that predictability may give you stability, but you can't predict the future. You can't be certain of the future because life comes at you fast, as we've heard in those commercials, right? And so today I want to talk about this, this idea of uncertainty, and I want to talk about the uncertainty that we find in the valley. Can you ever be certain? See, when it comes to the future, what we call certainty is really trust. We, we want to build a mechanism so that we can trust what's going to happen. And we can't have trust without having faith. You can't have trust for the future without faith. We live like certainty is a thing that we can attain. So we build systems, we build ideas, we build companies around building certainty for the future. Savings account, investments, uh, insurance companies. It's all about insuring, put, hedging your, your future, making assurances about the future so that we, we, can, we can have enough. And, and that's our, our mindset, right? We think that if we have enough assurances, if we know enough, if we control enough, we can make things predictable and therefore make them certain. I remember when I was single... Just a few short years ago, <laughs> still a young buck, the pertinent question when I was single was, how do you know your spouse is meant to be the one? Right? And if you're single in the room, that's the question that you think about. Like, how do I know who is meant to be my spouse? How do I know if I'm going to meet the one? Right? Now, I knew back then that marriage was the most important decision I was going to make regarding my future. My relationship with God was already settled. My relationship with Jesus and who Jesus was to me was already decided. The question, the next big question for my life was, who do I marry? And so at the, six, at the ripe age of 16 years old, I began asking that question. <laughs> because I was way ahead of my time, so I thought. And... And that was the question, who do I marry? How can you be certain? Now, this is a common feeling that we all have. We have that regarding who we're going to marry. We, had, we have that regarding college, right? What, what school am I going to go to? We have that regarding our career. What, what am I going to do? I have a certain set of skills, but where do I apply them? We have that regarding, like I said, marriage and, and relationships. And then once you're married, it's like, well, am I ready for kids? How do I know? How do I know? By the way, you don't know. You don't know. Because you don't know what your kid is going to be like. Right? And so we have this drive to arrive at certainty. We want to arrive at certainty as if it were a destination. As if you could get there if you take the right steps, you could get there. But just like we can be certain that the sun will rise in the morning... But we can't be certain whether we're going to be able to see the sun because we're not really certain about the weather. The only thing you can be certain about tomorrow is that if you stay alive, tomorrow will come. That's it. You can make plans. You can draw charts. You can 
build a schedule. The only thing you can be certain is that tomorrow you, you come. It, it, the tomorrow will come because you can't control what tomorrow brings. You really can't. Nor can you be certain. All you can do is safeguard your heart, prepare your mind, and sow good seeds today so that your tomorrow can be brighter. And the hard truth is that in life, we're going to walk through some valleys. And what do you do with the uncertainty that each valley brings? Listen to the words of the psalmist. We have already repeated it, but just this one verse. It's really well known. Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, this is a language of warfare. This is a language of conflict. This is a language of risk. The valley was a place of battle, and it still is. But this is also a place and a language of the unexpected. You don't know what's going to happen in the valley. The valley is a place where you might face some enemies. The valley is the place where you give your all in the fight. Sometimes you give your all to defend. Sometimes you give your all to preserve. Sometimes you give your all to attack, to destroy. There are different kinds of valley. I know in our lives, we've had grief. We've had loved ones that we've lost. And so we made a decision. We're going to walk through that valley. I'm sure you've had that too. When my wife found out that she was going to have twins and we found out that that pregnancy was going to be a high-risk pregnancy, it was going to be hard, it was going to be complicated. Every day those babies were at risk in her belly. And we decided we're going to walk through this valley. When we were called by God to come to Connecticut from a settled life in Houston, Texas, having the best barbecue on the land, everything is indef definitely bigger in Texas. If you've heard the saying, it is true. But God called us out to plant a church in Connecticut. We didn't know anybody here. We didn't know a single soul in Stanford. But we decided we're going to walk that valley. Some of you, you've had to walk some serious valleys. Some of you, you're walking a valley right now. The valley of divorce. The valley of addiction. The valley of unemployment. The valley of depression. The valley of betrayal the valley of serious illness, the valley of worry, the valley of strife. You might be in a valley right now. And here's the first thing that we learn from this scripture. The first thing that we need to pay attention to in this passage, the psalmist says, even though I walk through. See, you don't stop in the valley. You can't stop in the valley. You walk through the valley. 
See, the dire mistake that many people make is that they treat their valley as a permanent destination. Try to make the valley comfortable. Try to ameliorate the risks in the valley. Try to manage the valley to lessen your fear. Try to create situations to make the valley safer, more habitable. But this valley you're facing is not a place for you to be comfortable with. You're not supposed to be comfortable in the valley because the valley is not your destination. It is not permanent. You may find yourself in a valley of betrayal, in a valley of sin, in a valley of loss. Maybe you were at a mountaintop some time back. And now you find yourself in a valley and you think, this is it. My best days are behind. I hit my, 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 I hit my, my pinnacle. And now this is my reality. And you're trying to minimize the effects and the darkness in the valley so that you won't move in fear. You're trying to manage the valley. And I got to tell you, this valley, as the scripture says, is a valley of the shadow of death. It's a valley that wants to bring these circumstances in your life. But you're not meant to stay here. You're not meant to stay here. This is not your residence. You're meant to walk through it. And the word of God for you today is this. Walk without fear because the good shepherd is with you. He is guiding you. See, it's time to change your focus. The valley is going to be the valley. It's going to be what it is. And sometimes you walk through the valley by choice. Sometimes you were thrust into the valley. You don't know how you got to the valley, but you're there. And instead of trying to build a nicer valley or to make the valley better so that you can build a hut and build a residence in the valley, know that this is not where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to walk through the valley. Instead of trying to make it better, know that God, the shepherd, is guiding you through. Change your focus. Don't look at the valley. Look at the shepherd and follow the shepherd. Now, how does the good shepherd do that? How does he guide you in the valley? How does he lead you in the valley? The same psalm gives us the answer. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Because when you're in the valley, you, you need comfort. You're afraid. You, you don't know what's happening. You have no control. Everything is uncertain. And God brings his comfort in a specific way. Now, I, I find it beautiful that David writes about the rod and the staff of the shepherd because these are two tools that a shepherd uses to lead. And the good shepherd, our good shepherd, God, he uses the same tools to lead us, to lead you and me. The first one is the rod of correction. See, correction is when we think we know what to do. We think we know where to go. We're in the valley and we're like, I got this. I listen to that self-help podcast. I know the confessions I need to make. I'm going to meditate. I got this. You know, 
I'm going to make my, my, my juice, my shake. I'm going to make that grass green thing that nobody, that's what's going to get me, you know. I got this. And so we start to move on our own wisdom, on our own knowledge. What we think is wisdom. And sometimes that happens in the valley because, because in the valley there's pressure, there's pain, and that causes urgency. And some of us, we don't like to be in that situation. So we, we look for solutions and we find our own solutions. We find our own ways to make it better. And the, but the problem is that we don't know what we don't know. We don't know what's ahead. And so sometimes God will correct us. He will use the rod of correction to put us on the right track. You got to know this, that God is a God of discipline. He is a God of discipline. And He will always, always correct His children. If God has never corrected you, you need to come closer to the shepherd. It doesn't mean everything is good, okay? It might be that you are your own God. God always corrects his children. I was listening to this course on parenting. I believe it's called uh, The Gifts of Imperfect Parenting. Uh, and it was a while back. My wife and I were going through it. And there was this observational study done on students. I believe they were high schoolers. And they put a, a, a bunch of them together. Uh, and they were talking about boundaries. They were talking about parenting and, and boundaries and how those kids uh, had uh, their experiences with their parents. But on purpose, they gathered a, an array of kids from kids who had been uh, in homes that were really strict, where parents set strong boundaries, to kids that had no boundaries at all. And they just put them together in a room and asked the question about that and let them talk. And what happened quickly is that the conversation quickly became about how strict the parents were. And some Sometime along the conversation, it became kind of like a competition on, 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 on how strict each parent was. They were almost like bragging, oh, your dad did that? Oh, man, you got to see what my mom told me. She got me in. And just bragging about how strict their parents were and the punishment that they had, the correction that they had from their parents. It was very interesting. Now, this is the thing. They were not complaining. They were bragging how tough they had. But they noticed, the people handling the study, they noticed that there were about three or four kids in the corner that weren't saying a thing. They were just listening to the other kids talk about how their parents set strict boundaries, took their video games all out, and, and all of these things that the parents did. And they were kind of embarrassed. And so one of the, the people leading the study, uh, they looked at one of those kids and said, hey, what about you? And the answer was, I can't remember the last time my parents corrected me. I do whatever I want because my parents don't care. See, we know this from an early age that proper discipline is love. Proper boundaries set by a parent is love. is because they care. And so it's the same thing with God. God will correct you. He, he will set you back on track, not because he's mad at you, 
Not because you are sinful and going to hell and he wants to make your life worse. But because he loves you. He knows what he invested in you. He knows the gifts and talents that he invested in you. And he wants to see them bear fruit. And so he'll correct you. Scripture uh, in 12, uh, Hebrews 12 uh, explains this to us. So let's go to Hebrews 12, chapter 7, verse through verse 11. Listen to what it says. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are, are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. Not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? They disciplined us from, for a little while as they thought best. Talking about our earthly parents. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God is training you. He is investing in you. So here's a few highlights from this passage that we need to pay attention to. I love how it opens up. Endure hardship as discipline. How many of us can honestly say that we do that? I don't like hardship. I don't like difficulty. I want to get rid of it as, as soon as possible, as fast as possible. But what a powerful principle. Instead of complaining, instead of blaming, instead of revolting against God and against everything, everything else, everyone else, instead of saying, it is not fair. When we face hardships, it says that we should choose to endure. In other words, we got to make a decision that we will outlast the problem. That we're going to outlast this situation. But not only that, we got to endure it as discipline. <coughs> Excuse me. Endure it as discipline. In other words, God, what is the lesson here in this situation for me? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? There is a lesson here. Teach me your ways, O oh Lord. I'm not just going to go through this valley. I'm going to grow through this valley. Amen. The next observation in this passage is this. Receiving God's discipline makes you holy. He's trying to share of His character, of His uh, 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 nature with us. In other words, God's discipline purifies us. The rod of correction purifies us and it trains us in His righteousness and in His peace. And that's how the correction of the Good Shepherd brings us comfort. Because ultimately, it's for your growth. And ultimately, even though it might hurt in the beginning because it takes us off of our of, of what we think it's predictable and certain. It brings you peace. The second thing is the guiding staff. Now, the guiding staff has to do with worry. 
And let me ask you, what are you worried about today? What has you worried? What are some of the things that you're facing right now that causes you to worry? What is, about, what is it about your valley that makes you shake inside, that makes you tremble? See, every valley has a point of fear. And that's where we, our worry comes from. I don't know if you've ever made this connection, but worry is a result of fear. You're not worried about what you're not afraid of. We worry because we fear. Are my children going to be okay? There's a point of fear. Is there going to be enough money for my commitments? Is there going to be enough money for what I need to do for my plans? There's a point of worry, a point of fear. Am I going to be uh, uh, to arrive there safely? Am I going to get to my destination safely? Will my parents remain healthy in their old age? It's a point of worry. It's a point of fear. Will there be a recession? We're all surrounded by situations that we can't control. And we worry. Let me encourage you today that the Good Shepherd's staff of guidance is present when you don't know what to do. Because this is the counter moment, right? When you're walking through the valley, you're going to have situations that you don't, you don't know what to do. You don't know how to face them. You don't have a strategy for everything. And so in the valley, there will be uncertainty. In the valley, there will be things to worry about. But let me challenge you with the words of Jesus. Matthew 6, 27 says, Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Has worry ever solved any problems? Think about it. Have you solved any of your problems ever by worrying? But still we worry, don't we? We worry because we want to dispel uncertainty. We worry because we're not okay with, with uncertainty. We don't agree with it. So next time you worry, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, next time you worry, I want you to pray a simple prayer from an honest heart. I want you to say, God, I choose to trust you. Can you say that together? Can, let's say that. Say, God, I choose to trust you. Simple prayer. Change your mind in that moment. Say, you know what? I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to trust in the Good Shepherd. Because this, those are the moments where our faith needs to be activated. It's not for when everything is good. Well, faith is good when everything is good also. But it's for those moments that you're not sure. You don't know what to do. So you worry. Instead of worrying, activate your faith. Say it from the bottom of your heart and sincerely say, God, I choose to trust you in this moment. I choose to trust you with this situation. See, trusting God doesn't mean that you ignore the valley and pretend it's not there. It's not you turning the other way and going like, eh, it's all right. It means that you follow the good shepherd through the valley. It means that instead of looking at your valley and the challenges that your valley is bringing you, you look at the good shepherd and you say, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that I'm going to walk through this valley with you and by you. Amen. I will fear no evil for you are with me. In other words, I'm going to keep going. 
I'm going to keep growing. I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to keep loving. I'm going to keep following Jesus. I'm going to keep becoming more like Him. I'm going to keep moving forward, allowing Him to purify my heart, to fill me with His presence, allow me to be more like Him. No matter what, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to keep going. Let that be your decision. See, you don't belong in the valley. The valley is not your residence. You're not of the valley. You're not a valley girl. (laughs) Or a valley boy. (laughs) Jesus called you a city on a hill. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's why you're not comfortable in the valley. Because that's what you're called to be, a city on a hill. So keep going, keep moving, keep following Jesus. John 16, 33 says this, I have told you these things, this is Jesus speaking, so that in me you may have peace. Listen, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, we have this, this idea ingrained in us that peace is the absence of trouble. No. So we think that, oh, we want to have some peace and quiet. I just want to walk away from it all so I can have some peace. It's in there. It's in the back of our minds. You have to walk away from it all so that you can find some peace. That's not how you get peace. See, this is what Jesus says. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. See, the world kind of peace means inactivity, inertia. But Jesus says, no, I'm not going to give you my peace as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You see the connection here between trouble and fear? Fear and worry. Don't allow fear to get in your heart. You might be through a situation that's supposed to make you afraid. Don't allow that to come into your heart. There's a guarantee that in the valley you will have trouble. But that doesn't mean you can't have peace. Because peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of Jesus. The presence of the good shepherd with you. He brings peace. And you can face a situation that is troubling and go through the valley of uncertainty and still have peace when you're following the good shepherd. Because he's with you. And so to recap, what do you do when you find yourself in the valley of uncertainty? The first thing you do is you keep walking, baby. You keep going. You don't stop. Because that's not where you set up camp. That's, where you, that's not where you stay. That's, that's just, you're just passing through. You're not a resident of the valley. So stop trying to make it amenable or comfortable. Instead, follow the good shepherd. The second thing is, desire the Lord's discipline. Desire, ask for it. In fact, this should be your prayer. God, discipline me. Correct me. Search my heart. Discipline me, O Lord, because I know you are a good father. I know you're a loving father. Correct me, God. That's how God purifies you. That's how he helps you grow. So allow the discipline of God to be part of your life. And the, sec- and the third thing is, is allow your, your worries Turn your worries into trust. 
Turn your worries into trust. Say, God, I choose to trust you. Every time worry comes, say, God, I choose to trust you. If you do this, you'll be able to say this passage with a full heart. You'll be able to say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Because your rod and your staff, they bring me comfort. So I can walk through it. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. 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 Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.